Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 21. The account of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And now to a passage about the coming kingdom of Jesus from the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. Merry Christmas. I like that. What a great evening and service it has been so far. For those of you who knew, I promised you something. I said, it will be cute. Never said it wouldn't be chaotic. I just said it would be cute. So yes, we delivered on that promise. It was very cute. And these kids are stinking cute. So cute. And they also teach us so much. Today, Hudson, 
Today at my house, we uh, had an early round of Christmas presents opening because we're traveling tomorrow morning to go to Columbia, South Carolina to be my wife's family. So we did our family presents today. And so we were opening presents today, and Hudson gave me a great illustration of how we often miss glory. Placing that the gift came on top of. He thought it was a cloud. He said, cloud! And he loved that gift so much. He was playing with it. He wouldn't put it down. He kept on saying, cloud, cloud. And my wife and I, who gave him a new tablet, so he had his own tablet, he didn't care about the tablet. He just said, cloud. And so we decided then and there, we'd never pay for an expensive gift ever again for him. And only gonna give him boxes, clouds, and tablets, and scrap paper, whatever. It's hilarious that I say this, because we are often like children. We miss the glory of Christmas for something else. We do this all the time. We often miss it for the distraction that is food, presence, family, even church. The glory of God is the ultimate end of redemption. And therefore Christmas is all about the glory of God. And we dare not miss that. Jonathan Edwards says this, that the glory of God is the highest and last end of the work of redemption. It's confirmed by the song of the angels at Christ's birth. If Christmas is all about God's glory, then Christmas is not about us. And I'll be honest with you, this is where it gets hard for me, because I like Christmas being about me. I like Christmas being about me and my family. I like about what I can get and how good I feel when I give other people presents. I like how awesome it is when we have my family together, we eat good food and say, this is what Christmas is about. But it's not. Christmas isn't about presents. Sorry, Amazon but having more nicer stuff isn't as great as God's glory. It's easy for me to get caught up in valuing stuff over God. Christmas isn't about family. Sorry, Hallmark, but family gatherings, awesome though they may be, aren't as great as God's infinite worth. It's easy for me to get caught up in family nostalgia rather than getting caught up in God's greatness. Christmas isn't about food, that's a big deal. Sorry, Costco and the grocery store, but eating tons of delicious food isn't as great as God's unending greatness. It's easy for me to seek satisfaction in food than in God's glory. And Christmas isn't about religious services. Sorry, pastors who like to keep track of record numbers on Christmas and Easter here. But showing up once a year for church or having great numbers on Christmas Day isn't of that much value. It's easy for me to think that religious acts are more important than genuinely loving God for who he is. Now, don't get me wrong, all those things are great things, but if we get amazing presents at a fabulous family gathering with a ton of our tasty favorites after attending a wonderful church service, and we don't realize that Jesus became man to save sinners because he values his own glory above everything else, then we've missed the point. The best way to understand to have a Merry Christmas is to remember that it's not about us. It's about the glory of God. I'm convinced that if we took time to consider Jesus, how Jesus' birth displays the supreme greatness of God, we'd have a much more meaningful Christmas celebration because it'd be meaningfully rooted in something that's deeper than temporal pleasures and temporary fleeting moments of joy. It would be rooted in this understanding, a foundational understanding, that we, there's something bigger, more glorious than our temporary pleasures, and that's something more glorious that God esteems, he lifts up, and wants us to take a part of. Christmas is primarily about God's glory being seen in the second person of the Trinity, becoming human to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. God is that great, and that is a reason to celebrate for eternity. 
The first mention of angelic glory leads to a response of great fear by the shepherds. Verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This song of the angels is anthem-like in its glorious proclamation. So at the very first Christmas, we have this glory, good news, great joy, and the singing of an anthem. Very much like the Olympics. Good news of a victory bringing great joy, glory, and singing of an anthem. That's always my favorite part of the Olympics, by the way. You know, the main part of the Olympics is somebody wins, they train, they work so hard, they strive and they strive, and finally they win their event, and they're standing up there on the medal stage, and their anthem is playing, and there's tears coming down their eyes as they're holding onto their gold medal, thinking, this is not just for me, but it represents so much more. And as this song is proclaiming, and an anthem tells about the values of the priorities of the kingdom or of the nation, doesn't it? Our national anthem here says, America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Well, this heavenly anthem that filled the skies that first Christmas night was sung in response to incredible, great news, both instances of victory and of winning. When Jesus came upon this earth, it acknowledged that death, the end of death was coming and victory was about to happen. And it says that glory to God in the highest and peace go hand in hand. That glory to God happens, and when that happens, peace comes upon the earth. Olympic glory is the winning of a great reputation and high honor for being a gold medal willing athlete. The Greek word for glory used in the New Testament is doxa, kind of like in doxology. It carries much of the same meaning. That makes sense since the Greeks literally invented Olympic glory. But doxa also carries with it the idea of brightness, splendor, and magnificence. That's the meaning in view when it says the glory of the Lord shone upon them. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is a translation of the Hebrew word kabod, which means to be heavy or weighty. It carries with it the idea of having a great reputation or being highly honored. So a biblical understanding of glory includes weightiness and radiance, gravity and splendor. Thus, biblically speaking, the most glorious object in our solar system would be the sun. And it is the heaviest and the source of all gravity and the source of all splendor and radiance. The glory of the sun is the fitting image for the glory of God, for God holds all things together and gives light to everyone. He is the source of all true light for the minds and spirits of the people. So what is so amazing about this glory, the glory of God who is the heaviest, the most transcending, the most powerful, is that it revealed itself to the lowly and to the humble. One, the trading places of the incarnation. As Athanasius, the fourth century theologian proclaimed, Christ became what we are, that what we might become what he is. This is the marvelous exchange. He enters our life that we might enter his. The son of God became our brother. How amazing is that? Guys, I want you to understand this. And this is something that rocks my world. Is I remember when we went to adopt Hudson and we had to fill out all this paperwork. We had to do all this work. We had to fill out paperwork, do fingerprinting, and then fill out more paperwork, and then be questioned, and then um, just find out how much money we had in the bank account. It was everything. It was so intensive, this process of trying to adopt this child. And I want you to understand something, that this is what Jesus did in our place. So he went through all the work. He went through all the costs. He filled out all the paperwork. 
He did everything that it took for us to be known as family together. He, he sacrificed his status, his place. He traded places with us. This is this beautiful trading place incarnation that happened at Christmas. He literally said, take my place. And in so doing, I'll take yours. And in so doing, you can have my status before God. It's an atoning incarnation. The one in Mary's womb is to be called Savior. Here is God with us, come to make atonement. How does he do that? He becomes at one with us, taking all that is ours. And he does this in order to take to himself that dreaded enemy of sin at the cross. He'll step at nothing to be with us, Emmanuel. He, the perfect one, takes the weight of all our sin. First John 2, 2 says, he's atoning, for our, he's atoning for, atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Guys, the problem that exists, and I've said this over and over again at Waypoint Church, and you guys always know, I'll say it over and again again, that human condition, I truly believe this, that the human condition is that we all want to be known, we want to be loved, and we crave purpose. But the problem is, when we allow ourselves to be known, when we think about the idea of being known, we realize, oh, I can't be known because if I'm known, I don't know if I can ever be truly loved. So we put on masks, we put on disguises, we put on statuses, we put on victory accolades over and over again so maybe, just maybe I can be loved because in reality, you're so fearful. You're fearful that if you really are known for the root of who you are, the way your mind works, what's seriously going on in you, you think, I don't know if I can be loved. I said in that human condition, this is the beauty of the gospel, this is the beauty of the incarnation, is that Jesus says, you'll be known, I can know you fully, know you in all your mess, know you in all your junk, know you in all your sin, come into that reality, join and take trade places with you, and I'll take on all your sin, I'll take on all your mess, and I'll take it upon me, and I'll pay the punishment of it all, so that you can be known, and you can be loved. It's a humbling incarnation. As we look down to the manger, we think about Philippians 2, 5 through 6, it says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See how low he stooped. Behold the glory of God found in the lowest of places. Martin Luther states this, reason and will will ascend and seek above, but if you would have joy, bend yourself down to this place. There you will find that, find that boy given for you who is your creator lying in the manger. I'll stay with that boy as he sucks, is washed, and dies. There is no joy but in this boy. Take him away and you face the majesty which is terrifies. I know of no God but this one in the manger. Martin Luther knew that the glory of God was so far above and beyond us that the only way that glory, like there could be hope for us compared to this glory is in the incarnation where glory to God in the lowest happened, where the glory became a babe so that we who are babes could know glory. See, the reality is as we look upon this world, philosophically, I don't care what philosophical school you come from, you look around and you realize a few truths in the world. You notice that the world has struggling issues. You know that there's problems in it. You know that there's world struggles and you think, why does genocide exist? Why does hatred exist? Why, does, why do people hurt each other? And you realize there's a problem in this world. 
But the problem is, as you look at what's the solution, do we try harder? Do we hope in goodwill to mankind? Or do we hope that God, who is a God creator, says, I will provide a way for hope to really come into this world? He provided his way, this glorious God. He sent Jesus. Jesus came into the world to be the very expression of knowledge, image of who God is to live a sinless, perfect life that shows us what a life of love was supposed to look like. That he took upon himself the curse and in so doing, conquered death and sin. So that us, for us now, can see his glory and have his peace. May you, church, tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, may you see the glory of God in the lowest. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glory. God, your otherworldliness, your reputation, your gravity, your majesty, your splendor that is so big, that is so far above and beyond us. But God, you came to know us. Your glory came in the form of a babe. You lowered yourself. You humbled yourself into our state, into our place, even death upon a cross. You humbled yourself to that point. But God, that in that point, even in the humbling, you receive glory. Because that's otherworldly. That is not normal. That is separate. That is glorious. So God, thank you for, for your glory. Thank you for your glory to the lowest. We give you all praise in Jesus' name.